Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. So glad you're here with us today. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll continue worship together. said, we're so glad you're here with us this morning. We want you to feel welcome and want to connect with you. So please, please visit us on social media. Fill out a connect card this morning if you're brand new. We want to get to know you here, family. 
And hey, this morning we're introducing a brand new song. It's called Yes, I Will. So whenever you're comfortable, you just join in with us, okay? Let's sing together. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Oh, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy.
Christ can rest in the truth that you are in us today. Thank you for the blessings, God, that you give us. That you give us more than we could ever need just in Christ alone. And for what you've given us above and beyond, you call us to be stewards, Father. So thank you for the opportunity to give this morning. 
thank you for the opportunity to bless our community. And we pray, God, that as we begin our offering, that you would multiply what we give, use it for your glory and for the furtherance of your kingdom here in this place. We trust you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. you, Father. We love you. We love you, Father. We know that you're here with us this time. Reveal truth to us today, Father. Focus us in. Remove distractions. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat, everybody. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So glad that you're here today. Wow, what an exciting day for us, a, a day of, of change for us, and I'm just so appreciative of our church family, all of you, and uh, we had a good crowd in our first service today, and uh, what a great opportunity to get to bless people and to bless people twice, to use our gifts twice, and uh, as you can tell, uh, we got room to reach folks and to grow and to bring our friends and our family, and also I want to encourage you that over the next few weeks, if you see some folks you hadn't seen in a while, uh, reach out to them, uh, let them know you love them, that you've missed them, 
And uh, let's make sure we don't let anybody slip through the cracks as we are in the process of reaching and growing uh, new people in our body. And I'll tell you, too, this, this is a big adjustment for us. Uh, my goodness, uh, I've been preaching many, many years, years ago. We did two services, and uh, getting back into that groove is a bit of a change for us. So really appreciate your prayers, appreciate your support, especially over the next few weeks. It's really, really important. And, uh, you know, one of my biggest challenges is, is I, I think, okay, God, uh, it, 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 like I'm preaching the second service, did I already say this or did I not say it? You know, so pray for me as, um, as I get adjusted to preaching twice and, and uh, just ministering to people in that way. Because uh, sometimes I think I'm going to forget what I've said, won't say this, we'll say that, or I'll say it twice or not say it at all. So uh, pray for us, please. That would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, well, today we come back after Easter and, and let's just be honest a little bit, okay? This week, uh, I kind of experienced what I call almost like a, an Easter uh, letdown. Like an Easter letdown, you know? Everyone was so excited about last Sunday. Everybody was pumped. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd imagine all across the land, you know, in our area, county, and across the country, you know, churches have been preparing for Easter, getting ready for Easter and my goodness, I mean, it, it is a, a tremendous celebration, and the church should. The church should celebrate uh, Easter because it is the linchpin. It's the linchpin to our faith. And by the way, if there's no resurrection from the dead, Paul uh, said that, you know, if Christ isn't risen, your faith is vain. Your faith is empty, and, and you're still in your sins if, if Christ is not risen. And let me remind you of something from that. And Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so over time, here's what has happened. Over time, skeptics have said, well, you know, the whole resurrection thing was invented by the church. And it was developed by the church because the gospels were written 20, 30, 40 years after the resurrection events. And so people, of skeptics have said, well, this was made up. This was a hoax of the church. And the gospel writers invented this. Well, one of the, one of the greatest teachings in regard to the significance of the resurrection occurs in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But here's what a lot of people don't realize. A lot of people think that when Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians 15, he, he talked about 500 people who saw Christ die, were the people who saw him raised from the dead, those 500 like If you don't believe it, many of them are still living, Paul said. You can go talk to them. Go talk to them. They saw him die. They saw him be raised from the dead. You can go talk to these people. All of that there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ isn't risen, your faith is vain. If Christ isn't risen, you're still in your sins. Did you know that what Paul quotes right there is actually an early church creed. It's a creed. And it was developed uh, uh, in the church, and it, was, it came about in the church within months after the resurrection of Christ. So these, this creed was the testimony of the church within months after the resurrection of Christ. And so from that we can say Paul is quoting what had been there has, historically 
all the way back within months of the resurrection of Christ. So even the gospel, even though the gospel writers didn't write 20, 30, 40 years after the events, we can know that this is what the early church believed. It's what they hung their hat on, and it's what those disciples died for. It's what they died for. They gave, they gave their lives for the resurrection of Christ. And here's something that I want to, to bring to you today about the resurrection of Christ. Until, until Jesus becomes personal to you, the resurrection of Christ will have no major significance. Until Jesus becomes personal to you, the resurrection will have no major significance. People heard of the resurrection. There were people like, you know, who, who came in, you know, last week for Easter and, and celebrated the great story of the resurrection and what happened. And, and, and that's almost like watching something unfold and hearing about something. And it's almost like being a spectator of an event, a great event. But until you become a participant, a participant of the resurrection of Christ, then the resurrection will have no major significance of your life. It will not change your life. It's got to become personal. Personal. Just say that word with me. It must become personal. Christ must become real to me, or otherwise it may remain a neat story, a great story, something maybe a great event, but until it's personal, it's not going to change my life. Talking about taking things personal. I remember back in the 80s, late 70s, throughout the 80s, it just seems to me that school rivalries are not what they used to be. And by the way, we'll be heading to Hebrews chapter 7 in just a second if you want a head start. It just seems to me that over the years, school rivalries, just they just don't seem to have some of the edge that they used to have in the late 70s and throughout the 80s. I mean, I can remember growing up a Callaway County Laker, and I'm telling you, when Marshall County came to town, oh my goodness, it was an intense rivalry. Or oh, even across town, when Murray High would come uh, from across town, or we would go over there, we're talking, I'm talking the rivalry was so intense. And they don't allow this anymore. And it's probably a good thing that it's not allowed anymore. But do y'all remember all the signs? All the signs that students would make. And they would hold the signs up. The cheering sections would hold them up. And I can remember being a kid, you know, and I'd look across the way. And there'd be some Marshall County students and they'd hold up a sign. And it might have like a caricature or like a cartoon figure or drawing of one of our players with a number on it, might have a name, call, call that player a name. And I'm telling you what, it was intense enough as it was, but when they brought the signs out, and, 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 it be, and I saw that, and I knew that person, I mean, it became personal. It became personal. And when it becomes personal, everything changes, right? I mean, we had names for Murray High. We called them the cream eaters. They were the cream eaters because they would always hang out at the local Dairy Queen. So we called them the cream eaters. Our signs would say, Go across town, cream eaters, whatever, probably some other things that I can't repeat now. But anyway, 
You know what I'm talking about, right? And they called us the what? They called us, I'm good to see, I've got some Callaway support here. They called us the Swamp Rats. We were the Lakers, and we had, actually, we kind of fed that because we did have a mascot. His name was Fillmore, is that right? And he was actually a Swamp Rat. They called us the Swamp Rat. So all their signs, so I'm telling you, it was all fun and games until it becomes personal. And when it becomes personal, everything changes. The intensity changes. How it touches your heart, it changes. Let me say this as well. Your involvement, your involvement changes. Your participation changes. You go from being a spectator to becoming a participant. And this is exactly where we find, if we go back to last week, this is exactly where we find those disciples right after the messenger in the tomb announces to the women that Christ is risen and he is not there. And if you'll remember what he said to them, he told them very specifically, and this is back in Mark chapter 16, he says to them very specifically, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will what? There you will what? There you will see him. And last week we talked about the fact that empty tombs don't change lives. The fact that the tomb was empty does not change anybody's lives or anyone's life. What changes your life is not an empty tomb, but what changes your life is when you meet a risen Savior. It's when your relationship with God through Christ becomes extremely personal to you. Otherwise, you watch from a distance, minimal maybe involvement or whichever. There's not a lot of passion. It may be a great thing. We're celebrating once a year. But the reason we come back today, and a lot of people don't understand this, is the reason that we come back today, and I, and I told people this week, I said, I think today's perhaps even more important than last week. It's how we respond to the resurrection. It's how we respond to the resurrection. It's, how does it affect our lives? How does it change our lives? What do we do after the resurrection? I said, I think today may be more important. The early church historically would come back and gather together on Sunday to worship, not because Sunday became the new Sabbath. There is nowhere in the New Testament that teaches or even implies that Sunday becomes the new Sabbath, and it's a holy day, and that's why we worship. No, the reason we come back and worship in the church has historically on Sunday is because it's, it's the day that Christ was risen from the dead. And the church said, you know what? This is so important. This is so significant that every single week we are going to have a memorial celebration uh, for the resurrection. And we're going to come back on Sunday and we're going to celebrate and we're going to worship just like it happened today. That's why we can say that in the body of Christ, Resurrection Sunday is to be every single Sunday the body gathers together. 
And that's not to say that the church can't decide to worship on a Saturday night or a Friday night or any other time because in Christ we are free to worship Him. We're free to worship Him every single day of our lives. But historically, the church gathers on Sunday because it's Resurrection Sunday every single week. So these ladies on Resurrection Sunday receive word from the messenger at the tomb to go tell the disciples and Peter, he being Christ is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. But guess what? Like any group of hard-headed men typically are challenged with, the disciples did not believe them. Now here's something really interesting about how the resurrection story unfolds. We have the first witnesses there of the resurrection. We have a group of women. Historically and in the ancient world, the testimony of women were not held in very high regard. In fact, if you wanted to bring a credible witness to an event or something that happened, you just would not, in a patriarchal society, you would not bring women to testify. So it would make sense that if the disciples made up the resurrection story, then they would not create as their prime first eyewitnesses women. That they would have enough sense about themselves that they would say, we will do what society and culture would expect. We'll find some credible men and they will be the ones who testify that Christ is risen from the dead. That gives credibility, that gives credence to the fact that he really was risen from the dead. That the women were the first ones at the tomb and then they go and they begin to share with the disciples, hey, Tomb's empty. He's risen from the dead. We need to go to Galilee. And there we will meet him. Empty tombs don't change lives. Meeting risen saviors do. You will go from being a spectator to being a participant when he becomes real to you. And it becomes personal. So Luke tells us in Luke 24 that these words appeared to them as nonsense. 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 And they would not believe them. Nope. Didn't happen. We don't believe it. Even though Christ had prophesied and Christ had told them. That he would, on the third day, he would be raised. They forgot. They missed it. They do not believe the testimony of another. These ladies. They thought it was nonsense. So here's what they do. They go ahead and they're going to meet. But John tells us that on the very same day, that same resurrection Sunday, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, they had closed those doors and they were huddled up together for what? For what reason? Why were they huddled together? 
and closed the doors and didn't want anybody to be able to find them. Because of what reason? Y'all say that with me. What was the reason? For what? For what of the Jews? For what? For fear. Fear of the Jews. Why in the world would they be afraid of the Jews? Well, if you'll remember, back on the Sabbath, Jewish leadership went to Pilate and said, Hey, listen, the disciples are probably going to try to steal the body. And they're going to steal the body, and then they're going to go out, and they're going to tell everybody that he's risen from the dead. That's why they sealed the tomb. That's why they put a guard outside the tomb. That's why they protected it. So now there's, the tomb's empty. And, the Jew, and, they, and so the disciples are thinking the Jews are going to be coming for us. They're going to accuse us of stealing the body. And they were afraid. And gathering together, and then here's what happens. While they're gathered together, the Scripture says, John records, that Jesus did what? He came. Love this. I love it, I love it, I love it. Let me tell you why I love this. Because many times in my life, when Jesus was most real to me, was when I was either most troubled, or I was most afraid. Galilee, a very real place in history, almost symbolically, metaphorically at this point in the story, seems to be a place where they were experiencing fear. And I've experienced throughout my life that when Jesus was most real to me, it was when I was most troubled, or I was most afraid. And I would dare say maybe that's true for you too in your life. Something happens. An event. A betrayal. A hurt. A death. A loss. You were taken to your knees. Anybody been there? Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been there? You were taken to your knees. And in that moment of confusion or hurt or fear, that's when you needed him the most. And that's when he was the most real to you. You know, many times in my life, when he's been real to me like that, it was through another believer. Somebody else would give me a call, text me, Hey, just thinking about, I remember one day, I'll never forget this. I was having a horrible, horrible day. I mean, I felt like I didn't have a friend in the world. I was just, I was just really, really struggling. And I'm driving through Draftonville, and, and a guy, a good friend here in our church, just texts me and just said, hey, just praying for you today. You're on my mind. Oh, my gosh, I can't tell you how that ministered to me in that moment. I mean, the timing of that was just absolutely incredible and, and this is more this is more than just say a believer being nice or a believer being kind but when we think about incarnational ministry we think about christ living inside of us the mystery of the gospel is called christ in you the hope of glory that the very risen and resurrected christ would take up residence in our lives 
that when we go to another person or we pray for them or we love them or minister to them, that is Christ's life in us being manifested to them. It is Christ coming to them and being real. Don't ever underestimate the power of God when your life is in His hands and you're ministering and showing love and showing grace to someone else. They were in Galilee. They were afraid. Jesus appears to them, meets them at the point of their fear, and He says to them, Peace, peace be with you. And when He had said this, He showed them both His hands and His side. Some skeptics have said, about the resurrection of Christ, that, you know, the disciples might have been hallucinating. Uh, others have said that, that Christ's resurrection was not a real physical resurrection, but it was maybe a spiritual resurrection. But when you look here at what John records, you can't say that this is a, a spiritual thing. This is a very physical thing. This is a very real thing. Because He shows them His hands. He shows them His side. Why the hands? Because that's where the scars were. From the nails that had been driven through his hands. Why did he show them his side? Because that's where they, the, the, the soldiers pierced him with a, a spear. And they realized that he had died. And the water and the blood flowed out of his side. These were very real scars. On a very real side. On very real hands. Because the resurrection of Christ was a very real, physical, bodily, in your face, next to you, resurrection from the dead. And Christ had resurrection power before the cross and before the tomb. You remember when, when Lazarus was in the tomb? And his sister said, Jesus... Man, it's four days. You're late. He was sick days ago. Where were you? And what did Jesus do? He called Lazarus. Lazarus. That, that cracks me up that I just said Lazarus. Because sometimes the old timers would say Lazarus. It's really Lazarus. Let's say that together just so we're all phonetically correct. Lazarus. There is no Lazarus. Okay, it's Lazarus. Us. Us. No pun intended. Us. It became very real. Lazarus. Hey, wait, that's pretty cool when you think about it. When you think about it, that when the Holy Spirit comes to us and moves in our lives, He calls to us. Just come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you what? I will give you rest for your soul. He called Lazarus by name, come out of the tomb. He had power over sin, death, and the grave. And He demonstrated that in Lazarus' life. The disciples then rejoiced because seeing is what? Seeing is believing. Experiencing is believing. They knew him here in a way that transcended just an intellectual thought or understanding of an empty grave. Jesus was real and he was personal. He says to them again, 
Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I also, I also send you. Love the, love the clip last week of the kids, Easter according to kids. Any of y'all go back and watch that again on YouTube? Was I the only one who thought that was funny? Went back, watched that on YouTube all over again. Easter according to kids, it was great. And then at the very end, what does the little kid say? Let's go tell. Let's go tell. Let's go tell. Let's go tell. So Jesus says to them, I also send you. Not just as witnesses of the resurrection. But what's getting ready to happen is moving you toward being participants of the resurrection. When he said this, he, he breathed on them and said to them, it's the Ruach, it's the, it's the breath of God. Receive the Holy Spirit. This is not the same as what's going to happen 50 days after the resurrection. 50 days after the resurrection, on Pentecost, which is recorded in Acts chapter 2, the disciples would be gathered in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit would come and indwell them. And there is something greater than being with Christ or Christ being with you. If you remember, some of their fears was he's going to go away. He's going to leave. He's going to sin. He's going to leave us. Oh, my gosh. Life will never be the same without Jesus. But there is something greater than, than Jesus being with you. It's Jesus being in you. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would come and indwell the believers and even to this day, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord and accepts Him by faith and is saved, they receive into their life the Holy Spirit of God who indwells them. You're more than a follower of Christ. He walks with you. He's with you. He's in you. This is participation at the highest level. This is why Paul would write and Paul would say, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the, and the life, and the life that he gave to me. Wow, I now live by faith, Paul says. I've been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. And Paul would go on also in Romans chapter 6 and say, that, he's, that we're raised with Christ as well. So when Jesus died on that cross spiritually, we died with Him. When Jesus was put in that tomb spiritually, we were buried with Him. And when Jesus was resurrected from the dead spiritually, we are raised with Him to walk in newness of life. This is participation at the highest level. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. His cross was our cross. His death is our death. His new life is our new life. This is why Paul would also write and say about the mystery of the gospel. That is Christ in you. The hope of glory. 
So if you've given your life to Christ by faith, the resurrected life and the resurrected power of Christ indwells you. It's personal. But at this moment, He would empower them for this season and and they would receive the Holy Spirit. And this met them and ministered them at that initial point of their fear. But let me ask you a question, okay? What, what What is your greatest fear? What's your greatest fear? Do you have any fears as a believer? You know, there's a lot of believers who fear that what they have in Christ will one day be lost. That, yeah, today I'm His, but tomorrow I might mess up really, really bad. And I'm going to forfeit or I'm going to lose what I have in Christ. There might be believers even here today. You look back on your life and you think, man, well, you know, yeah, I, I think that when I was, when I was young, I, I gave my life to Christ and, and I walked with Him maybe for a season but then through my teenage years and my college years and on through life, and I think I've just really messed this thing up and, and don't really know for sure if I'm still His. Maybe I've lost what I once had. And so they start thinking, okay, well, I need to do this or I need to do that. I need to get back involved in church. I need to read my Bible more. I need to be a more faithful witness. And then maybe if I can prove myself to God, then maybe He will accept me back. One of the greatest blessings of the resurrection is that what will keep you in Christ is not what you do or what you don't do. But it's the resurrection of Christ itself. It's the resurrection of Christ itself that keeps you His forever. In Hebrews chapter 7, and I am so pumped about kicking off a study in the book of Hebrews next Wednesday night here in the main gathering area. In Hebrews chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews writes to encourage believers that their biggest fear of ever losing or not being his is taking care is taken care of by his priesthood. And his risen life. Look with me in Hebrews 7. Beginning in verse 14. The writer says. For it is evident that our Lord. Was descended from Judah. A tribe with reference to which. Moses spoke what? Can you all see that with me? A tribe. 
with reference to which Moses spoke what? Can you all see that with me? Nothing. Nothing concerning priests. Immediately, their hearts and their minds would go back to the, the priesthood under the sacrificial system of the law, also known as the Mosaic Law or the Mosaic Covenant. And if you were going to be a priest and offer sacrifices and serve people, under the law, you had to be from the tribe of Levi. Jesus Christ is not from the tribe of Levi as a Jew. Scripture tells us that he was of the tribe of Judah. This is why he's often called the lion of the tribe of what? The lion of the tribe of Judah. So people start processing now. So, so Christ isn't a, a high priest according to that Levitical system. Oh boy, we are in trouble. He doesn't even qualify. And for people who think the law comes over into the era of grace, Jesus doesn't meet the qualifications of being a priest according to the law. Unless... He has something better in mind. Verse 15, and this is clearer still. If another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, you're going, who in the world is Melchizedek? I can't even hardly say the dude's name. Melchizedek was a high priest. Scripture says he had no beginning, he had no end. He was a high priest of an eternal order. No end. No beginning, an eternal, perpetual, ongoing, forever order. It is, verse 16, who has become such, not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, like his physical birth, per se, but according, and I want you to file this, because we're going to come back in just a second, but according to the power of, of an indestructible life. For it is attested of him. Speaking of Christ now. Speaking of him under the order of Melchizedek. Anyway. You are a priest forever. How long is he a priest? And what do priests do anyway? They minister on behalf of people. They are like intercessors. intercessors. They go between God and people. Christ is according to the order of Melchizedek. His priesthood is forever. Verse 18. For on the one hand there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. And the, and the way that this is set up in the biblical text is to show that what the law could not do according to that priesthood, Christ can do according to his priesthood. So if the law cannot make people perfect, then Christ can make people perfect. And guess what? The moment that you accept Christ into your life, your person, your being is made holy, blameless, and perfect. 
This is why Paul would be able to write and say, to be absent from the body is to what? It's to be present with the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Your behavior, your lifestyle, stuff going on in your life may not be perfect. It may be part of far from perfect. But if you are in Christ today, your person, who you are here in your spirit and your soul, has been made holy, blameless, and perfect in Christ. The priesthood under the Levitical system could not do that. Their sacrifices can't make that happen. But Christ can do that for you. The law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a, is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And in, in as much as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath, an oath is a promise, through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, speaking of Christ, you are a priest forever. Have you ever had a friend? Have you ever had a friend who was always there for you no matter what happened in your life? A friend who's always been there for you. I mean, you may have really messed up. You might have made a huge mistake. You might have been tremendously embarrassed over what you did in your life. And you've thought to yourself, I don't have a friend on this earth. And then somebody gives you a call and they might say to you, say, boy, you know, I know you're going through a hard time. Maybe they don't believe maybe what you did. Yeah, that might have been bad. But you know what they say to you? But I, I believe in you and I love you and I'm there for you. You, you got a friend like that in your life that no matter what happens, no matter what you go through, no matter what you do, good, bad, indifferent, they're there for you. They're going to call you up and they're going to say, listen to me. I will always be there for you. How long is Christ there for us serving in the capacity of standing before the Father and demonstrating that His death and His resurrection is sufficient? How long will he be that friend for you? He is a priest for us. How long? How long? How long? How long? How long? How long? How long is his ministry to us? It is forever. Verse 22, so much more, so much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priest on the one hand existed in greater members. Why did those priests exist in... This is so cool. Y'all stay with me. Why did they exist in greater numbers? Because they would die. A group of priests would come along, they would serve, they'd minister, offer sacrifices, and then they would die. And so they'd be like, okay, well, we got to have some more. And they'd pick some more priests. Here we go, here's some others. And they'd offer sacrifice, minister on behalf of the people, Sacrifice is perpetual over and over and over because none could ever remove sin, right? And then those priests would die. And what they do? They say, we got to have some more priests. And then those priests would die. And they say, oh, yeah, we have more priests. And those priests would keep dying. And those priests in that priestly order could not continue because in verse 23, the scripture says, they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus. Verse 24. But Jesus, on the other hand, because 
He continues forever. Holds His priesthood permanently. Why? Back to verse 16. Because He serves us and He ministers on our behalf. And we're in Him and He's in us. Back to verse 16 at the end of verse 16. According, watch this, to the power of an indestructible life. They could not extinguish Him. Nobody can extinguish Him. He willingly laid down His life and was raised from the dead, but no one can extinguish Him. There is no power of hell. There is no power of man who can ever snuff out the life and the power of Christ. And if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you are sealed by the power according to a life that is indestructible. In other words, when you receive eternal life as a believer, you get His kind of life. And guess what? You have an indestructible life. This is why Jesus was able to say to Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Even though a person may die, he will do what? Even though a person may die, he will do what? Even though a person may die, he will live. And he will live where? He will live forever. Who will he live forever in? He will live forever in Christ. Therefore, today, I can, I can, I, I can sleep tonight knowing that there is nothing I can do that can add to the work of Christ. There is nothing bad I can do that can take away from it. There's nothing that I can do that can jeopardize my standing in Christ or that can jeopardize His ministry on my behalf or, or jeopardize His life on my behalf. There's nothing I can do that can threaten or change my identity in Christ. Therefore, verse 25, therefore, He's able to do what? He is able. Not that I'm able. But listen, folks, if it's up to me, whew, I, would, I would have blown it a long time ago. Can I get an amen? Anybody around here? If it's up to me? Anybody here? Anybody here? If it's up to me? Long time ago. I would have blown it. I did blow it. Would have blown it. If it's up to me, if this was on me, blew it years ago. Would have blown it a long, long time ago. But look what the Scripture says. Therefore, He is able also to do what? How long can He save me? How long can He keep me safe? How long can He keep me in His hands? Go with me. Therefore, He is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through Him. So it is not based on my ability. It is based on His ability to keep me in His hands. Is not based on what I do or what I can do or can't do. It is based everything on his resurrected life that is indestructible. He is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he also lives to make intercession for them. My greatest fear, my greatest fear is extinguished by a life that can never be extinguished. Oh my gosh. 
Are you kidding me? Man, when it becomes personal like this, and man, he becomes real in this capacity, what does that do in your heart? Miss, don't you just feel like he just sets you free? Oh my gosh, sets me free to live. And to live without fear, fear of condemnation, fear of messing. I mean, I just live in freedom, but it ignites a passion, a passion to get to know this life and to know this life more and to be closer to this life. Oh my gosh, I heard this yesterday. Blew my mind, blew my mind what was said. Man, a great brother in Christ this past week went home to be with Jesus. And he said something in his last days about finally, listen to this, about finally, about finally going and being able to see the one he'd been trying to get to know his entire life. Oh my gosh, what a tremendous perspective about death. I'm finally going to get to go and see the one I've spent my entire life trying to get to know. This is a passion it creates in you for Him to walk with Him. Not to be religious. Because that's a dead-end street. Under those priests, that's a dead-end street. But to have a relationship that will never, ever, ever go away. Man, how exciting. So this morning as we close our time together, and you stand with us this morning. We've realized over the last couple of weeks that a lot of times at the end of our services, there's tremendous needs here. Even last week, I was standing in the back and two brothers walked by me and, man, their, their eyes were filled with tears. And, man, I just, my heart was just like, I'd love just to stay here right here for a little while and, and maybe talk and maybe pray. And I realized that, you know, in five minutes or ten minutes at the end of a service, that's it, just almost impossible to accomplish in regards to the needs of people. So what we're doing is we're launching a, a prayer counselor ministry. And we're going to have counselors available at the end of our services. And, and we're going to put a couple in the back. We're going to put up a, a couple in the front here. If you want to be a part of this, please let us know. We'd love to enlist you to be a part of this. Uh, they'll have something that's easily identifiable around their neck, prayer counselor. And then as people leave the service, if, if you or somebody you bring to church needs to talk, needs to pray, then these people are going to be available for, for you or for your friends. And they're going to take them to a counseling room, sit down with them, pray through them, talk with them, whatever the decision is, help them walk through that in their life, in, in the time that they have there at the end of the service. Uh, so I've got a couple of folks today. I've, uh, my wife always serves as a prayer counselor. This is Emily. So I'm going to have Emily, if you'll go right back by that door for just a second. Jay Larkin is going to be over here on this side over here. Most likely we're going to set up prayer counseling rooms on this side. And so when people leave, they can, we'll tell them right over here is a prayer counselor. Somebody that's going to be there for you. If you want to uh, stop and pray. If you don't have assurance in your life of your salvation or where you stand with Christ today. Maybe you'd want to talk to one of these or, or grab me at the door before you leave today. If you want to know more about our ministry and what's happening here at First Missionary, 
right after this service, there's going to be a Discover FNBC luncheon. You're welcome to stay. You're welcome to stay. Uh, we'll go over more about our church and our ministry. We're going to feed you. 45 minutes to an hour, we're going to have you out of here. If you want to know more about how to become a part of our church family, how, how to join and to make uh, your time here uh, official, uh, we'd love for you to be able to, to do that um, today. Tonight's men's night. Excited about this. It's going to be pretty awesome. Big fish fry. Uh, we're going to start feeding at 5. We've got a couple guys sharing. It's going to be awesome tonight. And then next Sunday, our Sunday School and Connect classes are going to resume uh, next Sunday with our new schedule. So please be praying for us as we continue to adjust to two services and the opportunity to minister to new people. Can I tell you all this real quick? If we took the number of people, and Brother Steve, I think you can testify, if we took the number of people who were in the first service, there wouldn't be room here right now. There would not be enough room. You, you would, there, people would feel very crowded and overwhelmed. And so just the testimony of your attendance here today uh, just is confirmation that, that God is leading us to make room for people who need to hear this life-saving message of salvation uh, through the grace of Christ. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.